It is Mother's Day, and accordingly, it would be appropriate to recognize that reality. Take a break from Matthew's Gospel to do that. Next in line on Matthew's Gospel, we're, we're there in chapter 23 and the woes on the Pharisees, and I just didn't, couldn't make that work. Um, <laughs> Uh, for Mother's Day, and so I thought it would just be a really good time to take a break from that to really honor uh, the women uh, in our lives on this Mother's Day. Hey, you know what? If you're here this morning, newsflash, if you're here this morning, you are here because your mother loved and cared enough about you to bring you into this world. To bring you into this world. She probably and undoubtedly made many, many other sacrifices for you along the way. But even if not, she did that. She gave you life. And for that, we should be profoundly grateful. So we're taking a break from Matthew. And I have a Mother's Day message for you. And if you know me well, you know that I'm not real super big on holidays and trying to tailor messages to holidays, but Mother's Day is appropriate. So we are doing that. And what I want to do with you is a, kind of a brief biographical sketch. I want to do a, a biographical sermon with you this morning. And the, uh, the person that I have chosen is Sarah. I have chosen Sarah, that Old Testament saint, the wife of the ancient patriarch Abraham. I want to look at the life of Sarah with you. Now, Sarah and her husband Abraham lived about 4,000 years ago. So let that settle in. About 4,000 years ago. They lived in a time and in a place that was very different from the day and age in which we live. Very different. And yet, there are some remarkable similarities between their life and ours. The differences lie, of course, in culture and and uh, antiquity, and even religion, and, and social norms, and, and all of those sorts of things that are part of a culture that is 4,000 years old. On another part of this planet, halfway around the, the globe from us. And so a lot of that uh, create barriers and, and difficulties for us to, to sort of really understand what life was like for them. And so this morning we're going to attempt to try to understand that a little bit. So there's a lot of differences that we need to bridge over. But you know what? There are also some remarkable similarities. Remarkable similarities. And the reason there are remarkable similarities is because uh, Sarah and her husband Abraham were people. Flesh and blood people just like you and I. Subject to all the same weaknesses all the same foibles, all the same temptations that you and I experience, even as redeemed people, even as redeemed people. Now, Sarah herself was a a woman, the Bible tells us, of extraordinary physical beauty. She is called out in the scriptures as, I would suggest to you, as one of the most beautiful women perhaps to live. 
extraordinary beauty. This woman was so beautiful that even in the later stages of her life, men found her nearly irresistible. She was extraordinarily beautiful. And you would think that's a blessing, wouldn't you? What a wonderful thing, huh? To be, you know, perhaps the most gorgeous woman of your day. But despite her beauty, Sarah was unable to conceive children. Unable to conceive children. In fact, it's, it's like the very first thing that we find out about this woman when we are introduced to her. Open your Bible up to Genesis chapter 11. We'll just kind of get started there. And we're going to be flipping around this morning. Mostly we're going to be in Genesis, but we're going to, we're going to go ahead to the couple of passages in the New Testament as well to fill out this biographical sketch. But basically the first thing we learn about this woman is that she is unable to conceive children. She is barren in the words of Scripture. So, Genesis chapter 11 and verse 30. Sarai, who was her name before it was changed to Sarah, but we're not gonna, I'm not going to take the time to get into that. So from now on and henceforth this morning, she's Sarah. Are we okay with that? All right. And Abraham is Abraham. His name's changed too, but we're not going to deal with that either. Okay, so it's Abraham and Sarah, as they were later known. Notice, verse 29, the name of Abraham's, it's Abram's, but Abraham's wife was Sarah. Verse 30, Sarai was barren and she had no children, or she had no child. It's the very first thing we're told about this woman. She was barren. Now, in a culture of that day, barrenness was extremely serious. Extremely serious. It was a particularly disastrous condition for a woman. The inability to conceive brings tremendous pain, and it does even in this day, to be sure. But in the culture of that day and time, this is disaster. This is disastrous. Barrenness would weaken and endanger the tribe. These were tribal peoples. It would weaken the tribe. It would endanger the very existence of the tribe. The inability to bring children into the world and particular a son. It would endanger the religion of the tribe. It would disrupt the, the generational inheritance, or inheritance of the tribe. It would leave no one to care for their parents in their older age. These were very, very serious, serious things. They lived in a day and an age in which there were no societal safety nets. The things that you and I have, have sort of come, become very, very much accustomed to. And so the inability to conceive a child today creates great pain in the heart of a, of a mother, to be sure. To be sure. 
But in the day of Sarah, it was considered a curse. It was considered a curse. And Sarah had been barren for decades. She had known this shame and this pain for decades in her life, even when we are first introduced to her. Even when we are first introduced to her. This woman was tested by both her extraordinary beauty and her long-standing barrenness. And she reacted or responded to, to both of these tests, really, I think, in a, with a remarkable degree of faith. A remarkable degree of faith. And at the same time, some profound doubt. Some profound doubt. She was far from a perfect person. Neither she nor her husband, Abraham, were what we would call the perfect person. But when push came to shove, they knew their God. They believed their God. And it was credited to them as righteousness. They were a redeemed people. A redeemed people. In other words, they were saved in the same way that you or I are saved. We believe and trust the word of God. Well, we don't want to miss this reality. They were subject to the same weaknesses that you or I face. So I think there's something we can learn as we examine her life together. And that's what I want to do. I want to look with you this morning at the life of Sarah. And I want to highlight seven character traits. We're going to have to move quickly. Seven character traits that demonstrate her to be a remarkable woman. And a worthy role model on Mother's Day. That's where we're going. So here we go. Seven character traits of Sarah. Number one, fearless. Sarah was fearless. Chapter 12, here in Genesis, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. The call of Abraham, which includes his wife. Fact, Abraham and Sarah were not originally Bedouins. 
They are not Bedouins. That is, they they are not tent dwellers. They don't live off the land. They don't uh, move from place to place. That's not who they originally were. They were city dwellers. Chapter 11, verse 31, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, and his son Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. They went as far as Haran and settled there. Listen. They're city dwellers. They were born and brought up in Ur of the Chaldeans. Ur, the ancient city of Ur, is located, best we can tell, about 220 miles southeast of Baghdad. So that gives you an idea of sort of that part of the world. Ur was a very large city in its day, about 400,000. They tell us. Population, about 400,000. It was a place of social and intellectual wealth. It was a cosmopolitan kind of place. Well-developed civilization. A wealthy city and antiquity. This is where Sarah and Abraham are from. And they're called by God. Abraham is called by God. And Sarah, you know, a man is called of God. A woman is called to the man. They, they are called by God to make a trip of about a thousand miles. About a thousand miles from Ur the Chaldeans to the land of Canaan. That's a long way when you're walking a good bit of the way. It's a long trip. Sarah was uh, 10 years younger than Abraham, we find out later in the text. Abraham was 75, it says here in verse 4, when they left Haran. They, they, they moved from Ur the Chaldeans to another city, Haran, about you know, 600 miles or so to the north and to the west, and then from there down into the land of Canaan. He was 75, the text tells us, when they left Haran. That means Sarah was about 65, about 65 years old. And she is leaving everything that she knows. Everything that she knows. She's leaving the the comforts of her home, the civilization, the neighbors, the friends, the extended family members, everything she has ever known. At an age when most in this country are talking about retirement. 65 years old. Pick it up and move. Flip over to um, to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 11. gives us a little insight into what it was like. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Stop right there for a minute. All right, guys. 
Ladies? We're moving. Okay. Where are we moving to? Don't know. How far is it? A long way. What are we going to do there? Don't know. That would sit well. That would sit well. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise. As in a foreign land. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Don't worry, honey. I've got a tent. We're going to be good. We have a four-bedroom house. Don't worry, honey. I've got a tent. It's all good. And besides the fact, honey, you're going to get good at setting it up and tearing it down. Because that's your job. Because why? Well, we're going to live as an alien and a stranger. That means we're going to move around place to place to place to place. We're going to tear it up. We're going to put it down. We're going to tear it up and we're going to put it down. We're going to tear it up and we're going to put it down. Why? Because God said so. Verse 10, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He's looking for an invisible city. She's a fearless woman. She's a fearless woman. I have great respect for this lady. Great respect. I, I, I have moved. We have moved. We've moved across the country. It's not easy. Those of you who have been moved, been called upon to, to, to uproot what you're comfortable with, what you're used to, what's familiar to you. To obey the call of God. It's not easy. She demonstrates fearlessness. Secondly, she demonstrates foolishness. She demonstrates foolishness. Chapter 12 of Genesis again, beginning in verse 10. The first example of her foolishness. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. It came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, See now, I know that you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live long, or that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, into his harem. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. 
Because this woman was so extraordinarily beautiful, her husband was afraid of of powerful men. Powerful men that would kill him to take her from him. So he and, uh, he and Sarah foolishly conspired together to come up with a scheme. A scheme. A scheme that was built upon a half-truth. And by the way, a half-truth is a full lie. They came up with this scheme together because they believed it would protect Abraham's life. And I think we need to see here more than just, a, you know, what an unchivalrous man. Why didn't he just, you know, why didn't he just die for her? I think there's more to it than this. Abraham is the one who has received the promise of the deliverer will come through him. It comes through his line. So this is more than just protecting his skin. I think this has to do with their attempt to to do their best to protect the promise of God. And so they come up with this immoral and foolhardy scheme. And this wasn't something that he just put on her. They agreed together to do this. This was their strategy. In fact, if you uh, flip over to chapter 20 and verse 5... Get to the right chapter here. We have another illustration of them doing the same thing. By the way, it's about 25 years later. It's about 25 years later, which indicates this is an ongoing strategy. Here they, they, uh, they lie to another pagan king, uh, king of the Philistines. But notice what the king says. Did he, that is Abraham, not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. This was their plan together. This was their their foolish scheme to help God out. Sarah's foolish in another way. And again, it's to, it's to kind of help God out. This one occurs at, when she's 75 years old. It's in uh, chapter 16. Chapter 16 of Genesis. Let me just read it for you. Beginning in verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And so I said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. 
But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarah treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Turn back a chapter to chapter 15. Verse 4, chapter 15, God is, is um, speaking to Abraham, reconfirming the Abrahamic covenant to him, elaborating and drawing out the promises in that covenant. And in verse 4, he says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man, that is uh, a, a servant in his household, will not be your heir, but one will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. Sarai is aware of that promise. But she's barren. So they're going to help God out. She's going to help God out. And the way she's going to help God out is she's going to restore to what was a a common practice in the Near East. And the practice was this, that a woman could take her handmaiden and, and she would become a surrogate mother for her. A surrogate mother. The, 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 the owner of the handmaiden would retain legal right over the offspring born of that union. It was custom, particularly among pagans, but it was custom. We see, by the way, it illustrated here in chapter 30, just to so you see this, chapter 30 and verse 3. The unhappy home life situation of Jacob and his wives. Right? Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, she is unable to conceive. Verse 3, she said, Here is my maiden Bilhah, go into her that she may bear on my knees. That's the expression. And that through her I too may have children. She may bear on my knees. Any child the handmaiden delivers, conceives and delivers, becomes the lawful, legal child of the owner. And that's exactly what Sarah resorts to here in chapter 16, foolishly. Again, seeking to help God out. Why? Because God had promised Abraham, you're going to have a son. It's going to come from you. It's not going to come from, you, you know, your servant. It's going to come right from your body. But it, Sarah's thought is it's not going to come through me. So we're going to resort to this plan to help God out. What a costly mistake, huh? The birth of Ishmael, the son conceived of this costly mistake, brought unbelievable pain and division into the marriage of Abraham and Sarah. And might I suggest to you millennia of bloodshed into the world of the Middle East. As she foolishly Sought to help God out. And by the way, it takes two to tango. So she's not alone in this. She's not alone in this. But this uh, illustrates, I think, Proverbs 14 and verse 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Trying to help God out. Or Proverbs chapter 30, verses 21 to 23, under three things the earth quakes, and under four it cannot bear up, under a slave when he becomes king, and a fool when he is satisfied with food, under an unloved woman when she gets a husband, and under a maidservant 
when she supplants her mistress. Interesting, huh? In both the lie of telling people she was his sister, the introduction of Hagar into the marriage bed, Sarah foolishly thought she was helping God out in order to fulfill his promise to her husband, Abraham. She was fearless. She was foolish. Third, she was faithless. She was faithless. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 to 8. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abraham fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth for you. From you, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. Abraham and Sarah have been wandering now for approximately 24 years. Place to place, tent site to tent site. She is now biologically well past childbearing. Well past childbearing. She's 90 years old. 90 years old. God has given, in chapter 17, verse 11, he has given to Abraham the sign of the covenant in circumcision, right? Right? And in verse 19 of chapter 17, the promise that Sarah will bear him a son. So in chapter 18, the Lord appears to Abraham to announce to him the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? You know the story. And specifically that the son will be born to Sarah at this time next year. And Sarah's faith wavers. Verse 11, chapter 18. Now we'll pick it up in verse 9. Then the angelic visitors said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And he said, There in the tent. He said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. Behold, Sarah your wife will have a son. 
Sarah was listening at the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. Sarah was past childbearing. Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I indeed bear a child when I am so old? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah denied it, however, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Notice it says Sarah laughed to herself, verse 12. She laughed to herself. I mean, she laughed in her mind. She laughed in her mind at the idea of becoming pregnant. It's impossible. This is impossible. At that moment, the the physical circumstances, the reality of life, as we would say, overwhelmed her faith. Overwhelmed her faith. She doubted. She doubted. After all, it's not just simply unlikely. You know, I, I've been barren for a long, long time. It's, it's not likely that we'll ever have children. It's impossible for us to have children. How like us? Physical circumstances of life, right? They, they overwhelm us. And, and circumstances far less devastating than this. They overwhelm us. Notice how God uh, responds to her, by the way. He, uh, he demonstrates his power to her by reading her mind. Why did your wife laugh? She laughed inside, not outside. And she's in the tent. She's in the tent. And then he, he rebukes her unbelief, right? Verse 14, is anything too difficult for the Lord? Basically, what he's saying is, am I not sovereign? Am I not sovereign? Confronted with her unbelief and unnerved by this remarkable visitor, right? She, she tries to deny the whole thing. I didn't, I didn't laugh. <laughs> but God rebukes her. For her unbelief. And then he dismisses what she says as unworthy of any further consideration. And declares his sovereignty. He declares his sovereignty. She's fearless. She's foolish. At times she's faithless. Number four, she is faithful. How can that be? How can you be faithless and faithful? Do we really need to ask that question? I mean, seriously, do we really need to ask that question? Genesis 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah born to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old as God had commanded. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 
Sarah was tossed and turned by doubt, pushed and pulled, but she knew about God's promise. God had made it in chapter 12, he reiterates it in chapter 15, he he enlarges and reiterates it in chapter 17, and she knew about her role in that promise. And beloved, I'd like to suggest to you that ultimately she understood and believed her role in the greater promise that's found way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. That the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. She recognized the reality that the call of Abraham was a call to to be in the lineage of the coming deliverer. I believe she knew that the deliverer would come through her. Through her. She waited 25 years to the age of 90. To experience the fulfillment of what the Lord had promised. What the Lord had promised. Now that's a long obedience in the same direction. It's a long obedience in the same direction. It is not the perfection of our faith. It is the direction of our faith. And it is the direction of her faith that lands her in Hebrews chapter 11... And I'll direct you there to her place in the Bible's hall of faith. I think we miss something here of significance when all we see in this story is about a lady who wants to have a baby and is willing to wait a long time to get it. There's a covenant here. Genesis chapter 1 to 11 takes you right through the, basically the ruination of the race. And Abraham is selected. And from that point forward, the promise of the seed of the woman is developed that it comes from Abraham and through his loins. And it comes through Sarah, the child of promise. But anyway, I digress. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 11. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as are the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sands which is by the seashore. All these died in faith without having received the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they had went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. She is a woman of remarkable faith. Remarkable faith. In other words, she kept her eye on the spiritual finish line. The kingdom of God. Despite all the obstacles, despite all the setbacks, despite all the disappointments of life, all the obstacles, all the roadblocks, all the tragedies, she kept her eye on the finish line. Beloved, that's a a definition of, 
of one who has faith. She is a faithful woman. Fearless, foolish, faithless, faithful. Fifth, forthright. She is forthright. Back to Genesis 21. Genesis 21, verse 9. Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, mocking. Therefore she said to Abraham, Drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed because of the lad and your maid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. For through Isaac, your descendants shall be named. Now, it might just seem like she's a, you know, sort of a mean-spirited kind of lady, you know, a little jealous and so forth. But that would be to misunderstand the text. She recognized in Ishmael the, the threat to the covenant promise of God. That it would be through her son. Isaac, that the promise, the covenant, would descend. And so she acts boldly here to counsel her husband to eliminate this threat now. Even though Abraham is reticent to do so. Beloved, this is not a matter of jealousy. This is a matter of theology. This is a matter of theology. She recognized the threat. And she spoke forth rightly about it. The Apostle Paul recognizes that reality. And if you go over to Galatians, you'll see that. Galatians chapter 4. Because it's interesting, 2,000 years later, the Apostle Paul, he's looking back on this, this event, and, and he finds in this event a, a parallel a parallel situation happening in the churches of Galatia in which there is a threat to the covenant there. The interloper there is legalism. And it threatens the promise of the new covenant. Verse 29. But at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now, Paul says. In that event, the Apostle Paul sees a spiritual reality being played out there in the church of Galatia, which is that the, that the, the legalism of the Judaizers was going to sink the promise of the new covenant. He must act boldly. He must, they must act forthrightly. They must, verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. What she did was the right thing to do. And Paul finds in that the encouragement to tell the Galatians themselves, you must cast out the interloper. Legalism. She was forthright. She was uh, fruitful. Stay in Galatians. She was fruitful. Chapter 3. 
Paul says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then it is those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Sarah waited a long time, a long, long time, and was only able to have one child, a son. Some women are not able to have any children. And there's great sadness in that, great hardship in that, great tragedy in that, to be sure. God opens and closes the womb, ultimately. And so we are dependent upon his sovereignty in these things. But ladies, I I would... I'd like to suggest from this section in Galatians that fruitfulness in the service of God extends beyond physical childbearing to the realm of disciple-making. Abraham is called here the father of the believers. And so, in a sense, Sarah is the mother of believers. The mother of believers, for it was her son that stands in the messianic line. Ladies, regardless of how many children you may have or may not have, every woman can be a spiritual mother with many descendants. Every woman can be a spiritual mother with many, many descendants. And what that means is that neither old age nor marital status are a barrier to fruitfulness in the service of God. There's tremendous encouragement in that. Tremendous encouragement in that. You can be a spiritual mom and have many, many children. The question you have to ask yourself is, How am I investing my time? How am I investing my time? Am I being fruitful in the service of God? Sarah was fruitful. Seventh, Sarah was feminine. Sarah was feminine. First Peter Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And if you have become and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. The context here is following the example of Christ, trusting Christ through the experiences of suffering brought on us by those that are in authority over us. It stretches all the way back into chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. It's about suffering because of those in authority over us. Specifically here in chapter 3, 
Peter addresses it to Christian wives and who are suffering, verse 1, because of an unrighteous, unbelieving husband. And then Peter begins to talk about how this unrighteous, unbelieving husband could be won to the Lord by the behavior of his wife. And so Peter takes up the topic of feminine beauty. Feminine beauty. There was just a a ladies' brunch this weekend, right? Dealing with, you know, true beauty in the eyes of God. That's what Peter's talking about. I don't even know what passage the lady used. Did she speak on this one? I hope I don't contradict anything she says. True beauty in the eyes of God. Real feminine beauty. And Peter says, verse 3, it is not merely external. Do you see it? It is not merely external. In contrast to the the changing whims of of human fashion, and we shouldn't think fashion, by the way, is just some 21st century, you know, uh, invention. The ancients uh, were concerned with fashion too. And so what Peter says is, listen, real feminine beauty is not about how one adorns themselves on the outside in trying to keep up with the latest whim of fashion. That real feminine beauty is derived from the imperishable qualities of gentleness and quietness. You see it in verse 4. Peter's saying, in other words, that a Christian woman should not be pushy, not selfishly assertive, not boisterous in her attitudes. One writer describes a woman who is gentle and quiet this way. She calmly bears the disturbances created by others and does not herself create disturbances. A quiet and gentle spirit. Peter says these are spiritual qualities that are very, very valuable in the sight of God, right? Verse 4, precious in the sight of God. And they are found in holy women of the Old Testament. Meaning that they have been known and valued by the people of God since the beginning. And then specifically, Peter draws Sarah to the forefront as his illustration of the holy women of old. And he says the holiness here is a very practical outworking. First, they rested in God's loving and sovereign care for them. They hoped in God. Verse 5, right? They hoped in God. They trusted the sovereignty of God. Beyond that, they made themselves spiritually beautiful. They adorned themselves. Verse 5. They adorned themselves. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence that Peter selects Sarah as his example. There are other holy women of old that he could have brought forward. Ruth, for example. But he draws forward Sarah. I don't think it's a coincidence. He draws forward as his illustration the most gorgeous woman to tread across the pages of the Old Testament. And he pulls her out and says, exhibit number one. The most beautiful woman, a woman that when she's well into her, you know, 80s, men are drop dead, you think she's drop dead gorgeous still. And he says, what she really valued was what God valued. She valued the right things. She was 
truly feminine. Truly feminine. And so Peter chooses Sarah as his example of one who trusted in God's sovereign care, one who made herself spiritually beautiful, and last, one who submitted to her husband's leadership, right, calling him Lord. Verse 6, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Now this is, I think this is so fascinating. A Lord is a, is a cultural term. It, it, uh, master, it's, it's just a cultural term of respect. It's a cultural term of respect. But here's the interesting thing. The only place in the Old Testament where it's recorded that Sarah calls her husband Lord is in chapter 18 of Genesis. Right after he tells her, hurry up and get dinner ready, we've got unexpected guests. Let that sit for a moment, ladies. (laughs) Quick. Make dinner. We've got guests. Beyond that... Choose in verse 12, chapter 18. Beyond that, she says it to herself. It's in the context where she is, she is, it's the text says she says it to herself. She's speaking to herself when she calls him Lord. Implication? When, when someone uses those kinds of titles in their own mind, the implication of that is that, that this is their true attitude. This was her attitude towards her husband. She treated him with respect. Peter says that Christian women here are her daughters. They are daughters. How? By virtue of Christ's saving work and the inner reality of that saving work is manifest externally, that is to unbelieving husbands. Verse 1, I would say to society at large. How? When they follow her example. When they value true femininity, when they understand what is valuable in the sight of God, is not how one looks merely on the outside, but is the character of the soul. By the way, uh, Peter deals with the reality that it, it is a potentially frightening proposition to submit oneself to a fallen sinner, women to husband. Church members to elders, citizens of a society to a government. In all, in every case, there are imperfect and flawed people in authority over us, right? Masters to slaves, children to parents. But you do what is right, verse 6, without being frightened by any fear. I think the, I think the point is, is that when you saturate this in a, in a massive dose of the sovereignty of God, you recognize God is really over and behind all of this. So here's Sarah. She is a remarkable woman. Fearless, foolish, faithless, faithful, forthright, fruitful, and feminine. Quite a gal. Beloved by the power of the indwelling Spirit of God, the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, each of us, each of us can emulate her remarkably noble characteristics and seek to avoid her flaws. May the grace of the gospel flow to you today through the preaching of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you.
Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit who illumines our eyes and hearts to see and understand what it, what it has for us. May you fill us now with faith. Let us believe and then do. Let us prove ourselves to be sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah. And Father, I pray for that one who is here this morning who, who does not yet know Christ. Has not closed with him. So that Christ is, is the very center of his life. The desire of his heart. That one over whom sin still has mastery. And I pray you would grant him repentance. He would turn from his sin and flee to the cross of Christ. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.